Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm not a betting guy, but for those that are, there's betonline.ag. The Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you're looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Y'all know I'm a Houston Rockets fan, so I wanted to take a second to shout out the Rockets big man Boogie Cousins. Did y'all know that he has his own comedy show? It's called Boogie's Comedy Slam. I got a chance to watch it a few weeks ago and it was hilarious. Steph Curry and several NBA players were in the crowd and they were getting roasted. Mike Epps was the host and it featured some other funny comedians too, like Gary Owen and Carlos Miller. I believe it's streaming on Amazon Prime and now available for free on Tubi TV. Go check it out. Boogie's Comedy Slam. Y'all know what time it is. It's Believe in Kentucky time. I'm here with Double Zero, number five on UK's all-time scoring list. Talking about none other than TD himself, Tony Depp. My name is Vinny Hardy. What's up, TD? Man, it's another day, man. I'm happy to be here. You know, we uh, send it off again today as as, as usual. We had a, a plan last schedule for last night, but your boy didn't come through, man. I have to apologize. We're just going to knock this down on Tuesday night. But, hey, we're doing it Wednesday afternoon. So, hey, yeah. we're back in business. That's it. So, yeah, here we are Wednesday afternoon. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Believe Podcast Network, number one podcast network for professionals. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and give us those five stars on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It, it helps the podcast grow. Put a comment on there. They said that helps as well. So we definitely appreciate it. Man, we got all kinds of stuff to jump into. Uh, our cats, man, are still still struggling. Actually, they went one and one last week. They, they beat LSU uh, and looked. Looked pretty good. Scored 82 points. Beat them at home, 82 69. Right. Uh, and then had round two with Alabama. Alabama won by 20 in Lexington. It was in Tuscaloosa last night. Kentucky played it to me, TD. The the way they would have to play to beat Alabama, it was a low scoring rock fight. Uh, Alabama pulls away and wins 70 to 59. Kentucky was up 54 52, about three minutes left. Right. Dante Allen had a, a good look from the corner that if he makes it, puts him up five, and maybe it's a wholly different ball game. But then the turnovers and the scoring drought that we've seen all year kind of reared their ugly head, and, and Alabama was able to win. So Kentucky's now five and ten overall, four and four in SEC play. Woo, I mean, what I mean, what where do you want me to start at, man? I mean, 
catch a down. But you know, that that game up until like I said that that was those last three minutes gave us hope. Uh, but you really just, you know, who's your go-to guy? Who's gonna execute down the stretch? And then, like I said, if Allen makes that shot, you know, we you know, we might not lose. I mean, we could possibly win, but you know, it it, it gives us a little cushion because what you need then is now the shot clock is on your side. You know, you've got a five-point lead. You don't give up a three. You play defense. But when you only have that two-point lead, you know, and, and with the way Alabama shoots uh, shoot them threes, you know, they come out of court, they up one point. So, really, it's, it's trying to find the right rotation, the right guys uh, late in the game. And when, it, when it's a close game, that's when you got to have a closer. And that's something that we just really haven't found, you know, in, in our guys right now with, with DJ Mintz. Um, you know, we can go at Sar, which don't really – he doesn't put the ball on the floor. So I really don't expect for a guy who doesn't put the ball on the floor, um, game on the line, for him to go get us go get us a shot. Really, you got to have playmates. I think that's the one thing, you know, we'll get into this in a second, is Sharif Cooper, what he's done for Auburn. He's given them a floor general. And we have guys that manage the position, but there's a difference between a manager and someone who, who's a general. And we have guys that are managers right now, trying to manage, you know, the position. And uh, it just really hasn't made the game just run smoothly. It hasn't been clean. Like, yeah, you, you're going to look good some games, but when it's late in the game, you need a floor general, someone who knows how to take over the game, uh, get to the foul line, create havoc on, uh, you know, on the defense. And then they just know they have a great feel for it. And that's something that we have been missing. And like I said, you got to give Alabama a lot of credit. They locked us down in the last three minutes. They locked us down. And what I always say, great teams are able to go on a run and separate them, separate themselves. So I'm not saying they're a great team until, you know, they, of course they win a SEC tournament, win, you know, maybe get to the to Sweet 16 and Final Four. And we'll look back and be like, hey, that was a really good Alabama team. But, you know, during this course of this season, They've been really good. They've been good to the point where they've known how they know their personnel. They shoot threes. They break you down on defense. You know, they they're they're probably one of the one of the more exciting teams to watch in the country. I know a lot of people when you think about Alabama, be like Alabama. We think about football, but they have a uh, have a really good basketball team and some guys that have really learned how to play with each other. And they're playing a a a, a good brand of basketball that a lot of people in uh, in in Tuscaloosa. But also in the SEC, we're enjoying watching. Yeah, and they've they are head and shoulders above the rest of the conference right now. They've cleared all the hurdles that they faced. They won in Lexington. They beat Tennessee in Knoxville. I think they've already beaten Florida. Uh, beat Kentucky again. So a lot of the the measuring stick kind of games, they passed the test with everybody that they faced so far. And we could basically put like you know believe. On their Instagram, they put your quote up from our last episode. <laughs> word for word, you said, when you don't have that playmaker, that guy who can control the tempo and run your ball club, it shows. We could basically run your quote <laughs> every single week with, yeah. as far as what Kentucky's issues are. Yeah. And like I said, I, I really think, you know, it's so crazy because you don't know year to year who's going to come back, man, because I really thought, and, you know, and you, you wish quickly well, you wish Ashton Hagen those guys well as they – pursue their dreams. Um, Max was a little bit different because he was he was ranked a little bit higher than those guys. So you're thinking, man, we get quickly back. Ashton Hagen comes back. We have that floor general that I'm talking about. And and it's 
and and I know it's a mystery, you know, for so many fans there to, you know, for these guys to come and leave. You know, when Coach Cal first got there, they were used to probably three and four year guys, you know, guys that were going to come in as freshmen. They were going to graduate from you. Um, um, the last year they was going to go four years and graduate, and things have shifted, you know. And, and this is like one of the only years I think we can look back and that is really has caught up with us, you know, where we've had a lot of talented freshmen, but when we look at the tier, you know, there's, there's different tiers of talent. Uh, you know, this tier is a little bit different than what we've seen in the past, you know, where we look at Clark and, and um, DJ Boston and say, you know, Mets be like, okay, it's, it's a, it's a cool class, you know, but it wasn't a class that was going to make a lot of noise, you know, like we've seen in the past. And I think that's the difference right now is that this class is not making a noise, but also those classes in the past, have had, have had veteran guys come back. Because even with Maxi coming in, you still had what quickly was still there. You still had Ashton Hagens. Uh, you had EJ Montgomery. Um, Nick Nick was still there. So they had guys that had been in the system. But this is really just taking a bunch of talented guys and say, hey, you know what? Y'all going to come in, no preseason. Y'all don't really know each other that well. Y'all haven't played together. And you know what? You're going to start playing a tough non-conference schedule and then you go into a conference where everybody knows what you do. So all the play calls and the sets and, you know, it's, you know, you have to change that stuff year to year or even every two or three years just to throw them off a little bit. But when you have like the best talent, you win with your talent because we're, we're talented, we're better than you. And we just going to win because we're more talented than you. Sometimes you can get away with that, but this was an interesting year. And you kind of talk a little bit about this as well is that, you know, the teams that are, fair, are faring well are the teams that have veteran players that return. So in, in your mind, as you watch some of these good teams, you know, the, the teams that have been ranked, what do you think about those top-ranked teams? And and what's your explanation behind, you know, like I'm thinking, is that they, they have really good um, returning players. But in your mind, what has separated, let's say, Alabama, uh, maybe a Tennessee who's still struggling a little bit, what has made those teams better in our conference than probably some of the other teams? I think you hit it with, with the experience. All these teams are veteran teams. Uh, I was joking the other day. I put out on Twitter, you know, you look at Alabama, you know, John Petty played with McDice and Ori he, and, and you'll spree. He'd been there forever. So <laughs> experience. I mean, <laughs> the dude has been around and you talked about how, those uh, guys don't ain't impressed by a hot shot freshman coming in. Nah. So, and and we're looking at it from Kentucky's perspective. This is down. We've never seen this before. They're not ranked. They're struggling. But Kentucky, Duke, and North Carolina. This is the first time all three have been unranked. They said since 1961. Wow. So 60 years. And if Kansas keep on tripping, they're gonna be unranked too. They lost <laughs> in a row. They got to play Tennessee this weekend in Knoxville. They only went out. Kansas gonna be it's gonna be four blue bloods not ranked. So it's a it's a weird time for all the upper cream of the crop traditional right. powers. But but also but also I think it it speaks value for what I'm saying too is you know and, and I hate to say players are overrated man you know what I'm saying like I don't want to say any player is overrated but because every year they they have to come out you know what I'm saying like you have to have a, a, a McDonald's All-American team, a top 20, a ESPN, top 100. Like, we have to have those rankings. 
And you can't get it right every year. Like, you know, even if you have a number one player, like certain certain number one players are hand down, we see him and be like, okay, man, that, that dude should have been number one. He should have been in the top five. And as I watch this year's talent, like there's no one really – like I, I really do like Kay Cunningham. If I had to look at anyone and say this player is, is different from the rest of the dudes, he would be the one player I look at and say, man, that dude is different. And it, But he know what? But he's been different for two or three years now. You know, just being 6'8", long, athletic, being able to put the ball on the floor, you know, finish at the basket. He is a floor general. He plays his position. He's poised at that position. So when we start looking at talent, we start looking at, okay, who's behind Cade? Like, you know, Evan Mobley is another, you know, talented player. And then you want to look at three, four, five, six. So the top 10, and when you want, when you have two of those players in the top 10, you're thinking like, man, we, we good. If they even close to Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, we're going to be good. And it just, I just haven't seen that, man. I just haven't seen like that, that player, especially, you know, what, what we're seeing, you know, at Kentucky, there ain't any difference, difference, man. So now we got to think about, do these guys come back with me? What, what's the next step? Are you in the, are you in the draft? You out to draft? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. And it's, <laughs> and you can't even like what, what Cal been saying all year, unpack your bags. He, like if some of these guys maybe had one foot already gone before they got here and that, that, Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, it might be quite a black, quite a few to come back, or you know, in addition to what's coming in next year. Well, also when I look at this class, I think you know this class, you know, it's it's kind of rude awakening, you know, for for them, you know, to thinking that okay, we just gonna come in, dominate, and just leave, you know, just right away. You know, you really got to come in and put your work in. You know, you gotta you know got to come in. Um, you know, you gotta be, be turning your turn yourself into a blue collar worker. You know, and let let people know, man, we're here to work. You know, I don't care how long I'm going to be here, but you got to be impressive, you know, to so many people that haven't seen you play. And what Kentucky does, here's, here's the difference between, you know, when you go to, to the Blue Bloods, they put you on the biggest stage. And that biggest stage sometimes exposes who you really are. Yeah. Because now it's different when you're, you know, maybe every other day playing against, you know, a team that's not as talented. But when you get into conference play, everyone has a real scouting report on you. Like we've seen your, your games, your body work, what you do well, your, your weaknesses, um, you know, how well you shoot the ball, you know, analytics. Okay. He doesn't shoot the ball going left that well. So we're going to force him left. He's not really good with a catch and shoot. He doesn't have a step back. He doesn't have a counter move. They have figured every, everything out about your game. So unless you're willing to get in the gym, and add something to your game. And that's what I try to tell players. Every every summer, you know, when I, I'm going to take you back to high school from sophomore, junior, senior year, I try to add something that's different to my game. So when I came back, I was better at doing something else. And I don't know if kids understand that part of trying to be great at something. It's that you have to – you can't be content with where you're at right now because being content means somebody else is coming after you. And – you have to be challenged. You have to be, it's, it's, I always say it's, it's a good, it's a good scaredness, a good way to be afraid is that somebody's trying to take my job. Mm-hmm. What do I have to do to keep my job? But when you don't feel that threat and sometimes you're so good that you, that you've been good, but now, you know, that's what coach Cal has always had there. He's had guys that threaten the guys who are starting. 
But when you look at this roster, I don't think anybody's threatened. Just and not that good. They were talking about last night, you know, normally his rotation is down to about seven. He's still playing nine or ten because he's still looking to find some kind of combination of – and the, <clears throat> offense, the best offensive lineup and the best defense lineup is not the same guys. So you it is it is totally different lineup. So you can't get good offense and then guys that can play that because they're defensively they are they are doing good, but you know, you know, they're holding teams to 65 points, but they're not getting enough points to win. That's that's been the theme all year. Uh and then you get the scoring out there and then they drop off defensively. So it's it's trying to cram two things together and it just ain't right. that mission. Well, I think it's like you said, it's really trying to get a balance. Like what's going to be the balance um, with this team? And we're 15 games in right now, man. So it's like, you know, half your season is gone. It's like, man, we still don't know who to rotate, who, who, who is the right and the correct rotation. And I think this what's been so difficult for coaches that he's, he's, he's managed it. He's done it well for so many years and he's had his pulse on so many different lineups, you know, that he's changed and tweaked and, and, you know, it, it's great just to get a good continuity with, with what you have and maybe have rotation guys. But when it's a guessing game, game to game, you know, it's like, dang, I'm, I think I got the right lineup. And then you got to make sure rotation wise and, you know, you got to, but, but I think you got to talk to your assistant coaches to say, man, who, who can we put in at this time uh, late in the game? Who do we trust? Who was our go-to player late in the game? Did we get the ball to beat? Did we throw the ball inside? Can Miss make a play for someone? You know, we need we need shooters out there to space the court. Man, I mean, he's really trying to juggle a lot with this with this lineup, and it, I, I and I know it's been frustrating, you know, for him to have so many great teams, but lineups that he can put in, and you know, you can almost sit down when you have a good. Okay, for instance, what what Mark Few can do with Gonzaga is what Cal was able to do some years ago. When you have a really good team, it doesn't take you to walk up and down the sideline and teach them this and tell them this. Like, there's so much teaching when you have young players that don't have veteran guys to teach them the game. And I think that's what's been probably the most difficult task for Coach Cal is that you can't really show them anything because guess what? (laughs) The person in front of him, he's young too. He ain't played. You know, he has no experience. And that's where, you know, when you say unpack the bags, I, I mean, unpack the bag mean, are, are they staying? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's, I, I mean, I know what everybody on their team should do this year. And I don't think anybody should, should even consider the draft, like not even going, calling someone, um, wasting someone time to come in for a workout, putting your name in whatever, you know, whenever you got to, uh, put that draft, uh, I guess, paperwork. You have to send that paperwork in by whatever time. Like, nobody should do that on this team right now. And if they do, I'm telling you, it's fool's gold. If they, they believe that they're about to make a – they're about to be on the NBA roster when next year, when next year season starts, I'll be shocked. Because if you're – I always say if you're that good, you know, the, the NBA already knows about you. So whether you put your name in or not, you know, we can find out within a phone call where you're going to be drafted at. And even if you get drafted, are you going to play? Are you going to be an impactful player? Who, who are you going to beat out? If you, can't, if you can't be successful with these guys and have put up like 18, 19 points on this team, we have a problem. 
that brings me back to what you said with you know, Emmanuel quickly. You know, freshman year was a little bumpy. Mm-hmm. Come back as a sophomore, SEC player of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were left to wonder, man, what would that team have done last year in the tournament? Right. He goes to the Knicks, and just the other last week we were talking about Maxi scoring 39, quickly had 31 the other night. And mm-hmm. the, everybody in New York is just, you know, they love him. They and they ask him, you know, is it is it pressure coming in here doing this? And he said he said, No, because I played at Kentucky in front of 24, 25,000 people. Right. It prepared me for this. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, and I think that's that's what's, you know, if I'm looking at this 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 group of guys, this class, they got to take a page out of a quickly book, you know, um, you know, a, a PJ Washington, you know, guys who came back and, and came back before them at, at, at a level that made them a, a, a draft, not only a draft prospect, but a, but a, a rotation player, a player that you can count on one that you know that can make an NBA roster, you know, whenever the season starts, not someone that, that's a two-way player, someone that's in the right to the G league, like they are a le- legit rotation player because they know how to play basketball. So what I was what I was stating earlier was that, you know, quickly, PJ Washington, their game got better. They came back and we saw we saw some some greatness in them. It was like, okay, man, this dude that that had, you know, it was like a roller coaster season as a freshman, they came back and balled because they wasn't ready. It's so here's the thing too, Ben. It's okay not to be ready. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, I wasn't ready as a freshman. Probably wasn't ready as a sophomore. But each and every year, I kept getting myself ready to be a pro. And that's where I don't think the parents, the kids, understand that you don't have to do it the first year. So what? Yeah. You have, what, you have a scholarship. I think you got four years. <laughs> oh, you know what? I didn't get it my first year. Oh, man, you know what? I got another year. So it shouldn't be. So I think it shouldn't be a disappointment because I think when you come back, be like, man, I ain't gonna make it to the NBA now. No, dude, you gotta work much harder now. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it wasn't easy. You didn't have you struggled your first year. So now what you should be able to go back, you should go back to the drawing board and say, man, I'm going back to the lab. Cause that's I had to do the same thing. I had to reevaluate my game as a freshman. And it sent me back to the drawing board where I was like, okay, I I wasn't embarrassed. I was like, but my game wasn't as good as I thought it was. You know, it was really good. I had a really good high school game. I had a not really good. I had a great high school game, mm-hmm. but I had a, a a subpar freshman game that needed some that needed some retooling, and that's what I went back and do. So I, I so I didn't I wasn't fake. You know, with trying to be like, man, it's the coach's fault. I got to I knew what I had to do. My game wasn't good, but it's hard in this generation for kids not to hear. You're not good. You need to go. You need, huh? What you mean? I'm not good. Are you gonna cry, or what you gonna do? You going? You gonna go put the work in? We went and put the work in. When you told me we wasn't something, I went and put the work in. I didn't just, you know, I thought about transferring, but it didn't matter where I was gonna go. I still knew I had to work on my game, man. It didn't. It had nothing to do with the coach because if I knew if my game was where it needed to be, I was gonna play. So mm-hmm. if you're good, and I tell my my kids in my program that you should have to compete for your position. If there's 10, 11, 12 guys, I say you, so, so this was, this is parents mindset. They want seven players on the team. They want guaranteed minutes for their kids. 
So now when it comes down to it, my kid got to play. But I always say as a coach, when you have seven players, them seven players got you because now they know, guess what? I don't care what happened. You got to play my ass. Right. Yeah. I get somebody getting in foul trouble. You know, somebody don't come to the game and doing AAU season. Little Johnny over there looking like, oh, man, he going to play me. You know what I'm saying? He got to play me. He got the leverage. <laughs> he had leverage. So, so, and and that's was that's the that's the one thing I, I learned a lot from Coach Cal, you know. But what he didn't want to have is he never wanted the players to have the leverage to be forced to play them. And that's what I try to tell the coaches in my program: you don't want to give these kids leverage right now to have six or seven guys on the team. You want them to know, man. Listen, look out, man. You see seven, eight guys, man. Every, good thing about this video, Benny. Everybody's home for playing time, but when you got six, you got seven, eight guys. Man, I'm doing so that man. They just they they sit back, and like in a rocket chair, man. What is? It? It's 2021. There are self-driving cars, plant burgers, and tourists in space. The least your phone could do is download entertainment in a flash. For that, you should get AT and T 5G. AT and T 5G is fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Want to make sure your phone service keeps up with what you need from it? Get AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan and device. 5G may not be available in your area. See at slash 5G for you for details. He's going to put me in the game. Yeah. And you know he don't deserve to go in the game, but you got to rest guys. Guys might get in foul trouble. So what, what you're saying is leverage. Leverage makes a difference. And, and that's the one that's the difference between college coaches and NBA coaches. College coaches have leverage. Talk about guys being hungry for playing time. I got to make us hungry for real again. Talk about those Kansas City Stakes because <laughs> with a new year comes tons of new big games in sports. With big games, you need big stakes. Kansas City Stakes has the cuts you crave to celebrate the playoffs and the big game. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day. Save up to $25 on combos. Perfect for game day. Plus get free shipping with code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V at checkout. Try out the snack pack combo featuring small plates with big flavor like mini beef Wellington steak burger sliders, mac and cheese melts, shrimp wrapped in bacon. Every order is flash frozen delivered directly to your home, satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Basically every cut of steak imaginable plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. So go to KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day and use the code Believe B-L-E-A-V at checkout for free shipping. Kansas City Steaks, big games, big taste. So, you know, gotta have my mouth watering again with them Kansas City Steaks. Yeah, I know, man. I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking about to go find the grill right now and throw a steak on, man. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. You better do well steak on. Hey, hey, man, we're gonna be good. Listen, y'all need my address. You know, y'all know how to find me. So I can I can put one of those steaks on and we can we can do a podcast out outside with the steak on the grill, you know, and I'll let you and we'll let you see what it tastes. I'll tell you what it tastes like. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, if I'm a if I'm a Chiefs fan and Kansas City Steaks right there in town, they can keep me away from there, man. Shoot. Hey, you know what? All right. So so we got we got to put an early prediction in right now. So Kansas City or Tampa Bay. I, I think Kansas City, I believe. I believe. But uh, Tampa Bay, man, to do what they've done. I mean, Tom Brady is like three months older than me. I mean, and he out there leading his team to the Super Bowl. He was born in August 
I'm 77. I'm born in November. Wow. And he's still out there <laughs> doing his hey, thing, man. man. Went out to, he he poked he poked Drew Brees in New Orleans, then went to Green Bay and poked Aaron Rodgers the next week. So I mean, but I, but also I, I just think you know just taking care of his body and being a professional, but you know just being being in the right situation, you know, because I, I think when he left New England, it was more about I know he loved New England because when you win six championships, it's really hard to to leave a city, leave a state. But when a talent around you is dropping off and you still feel like, you know what? He felt like he still had some left in the tank. Like it's, 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 and what, what has always happened with Bill Belichick and just that organization, but mostly him, you know, when he releases players or decides to, you know, to let them go, not prematurely, but when he think in his mind, okay, man, you at the end, you didn't tap out. This is it. Can't get no more out of you. And Tom Brady just felt something totally different. He was like, no, I think I'm, I think I'm still, one of the top quarterbacks, I just don't have the offensive pieces around me. And, you know, we can look at – so in, in Bill Belichick, my man, I, I can plug anyone in. And not to say that Cam, you know, with the season that he had, you know, it was going to be a hard, hard offense for anyone to, to have been successful in it because they just didn't have, you know, the right, the right offensive piece, uh, players, you know. So I don't think it would have made a difference who the quarterback was, but I think Tom Brady kind of saw the right on the wall for himself. Like, you know, it's time for me to leave. Like, like, it's great to be in that position. Like I said, we talk about leverage. Like Tom knew, being a free agent, I'm still in high demand because what did Tampa Bay need? They just needed someone who could not throw interception. That's all they needed. They had a great offensive structure in place. They just need someone to come in and manage it. And who would be better? Who would be the best candidate for it? Man, Tom Brady. As soon as I knew Tom was unhappy. Man, you think Bruce Aaron was gonna pick up that phone and be like, "Man, let me let, let me see what his interest is." Yeah. So you you leave the cold weather, you go from the cold in Massachusetts to Tampa Bay. Man, who would make that move, dude? My my, because as you get older, I always talk about this, man. My body's not built for cold weather. I it's just not. You talking about cold weather outdoors? We're not talking about the cold weather where at least I'm going into you know to to an arena. And I'm gonna get warmed up inside. Now, dude, what, what they what they played in in Green Bay is the reason why I gave up football. Yeah. <laughs> and we talking about in Tennessee. I'm not talking about in like New York, mm-hmm. Illinois, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, some of the them northeastern places. Man, are you crazy? You think I'm gonna be out there with no dome? Uh-uh, man. No, no, I don't, I don't I I never liked the sport, you know, where I had to be outside. Be cold and say I'm having fun being cold. <laughs> no, basketball was my sport of choice because I knew one thing: rain, sleet, or snow, I was gonna be inside exactly. where it was nice and warm. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, speaking of too, it's it's crazy, but it's been a year since since Kobe passed away yesterday. Yeah, uh, I saw uh, you on your Instagram. You had had some pictures up. You and him, action shots going at it. You know, you were Dallas, Sacramento, I think some different shots of you guarding him. Yeah. Man, just, you know, what was it? I we mean, got it in, man. We, we, we got yeah. it in. And, and I would say Kobe's like one of, <laughs> one of the only people that dunked on me, too. He got me, he got me with a nice little spin off me, a little reverse jam when I was in, I was in Sacramento. So I was like, 
I was kind of salty about that. But, you know, hey, when you get dunked on by a great, um, and that's the only one that, that you know, hey, I got on my, on my resume right now that people know of. Like, that's the only one. But, you know, it was always competitive between us. And I think people look at – we came in the same draft. We got drafted by the same team before um, the Lakers traded Vlade Divac to get him at, at 13. But, you know, it was always a mutual respect. Like, you know, me just always – being who I was, I didn't care about the height. I enjoyed playing defense and, you know, playing against him and Michael, it, it was, it was special, you know, just really two guys that were great at their position. And I always said, Michael's a plus and Kobe's like a minus. And, you know, that's a, you know, I think when all the comparisons come between MJ and, and, and LeBron, I said, man, did y'all just forget Kobe? Kobe didn't, Man, Kobe played this game. Kobe was before, you know, um, LeBron played. He was like third all-time leading scorer. Five championships. I'm like, dude, how are we just going to not acknowledge, you know, his body work and what he did? I said, you know, I just, I thought, you know, so many people because it looks better when we compare and it's like Michael here and then it's like LeBron. And I say, no, man. I say, you know, there's, there's levels of this. I say because two people always talk about Kobe is one, five. Kareem is another. I, th- I think Kareem always gets left out of the GOAT conversation. And maybe it's because of maybe what, what happened in the 80s. People didn't like him or, you know, I don't know what how the media felt about him. But I say, well, nobody ever really talks about, you know, just how dumb that he was high school, college, NBA. And when I look at the GOAT, he is the GOAT. Mm-hmm. Billy Goat, whoever you want to call him. Yeah, go to our sender, you know, <laughs> go to that dude Jabbar. Have you want to look at he he should be the goat, you know what I'm saying? And but I still look at and, and it's not to take anything away from LeBron. I mean, there has to be a comparison, but it's two different Michael and him play two different positions. Um and I and, and I think so many here's the problem with I think a lot of GMs and a lot of scouts and a lot of media people. LeBron is a scorer. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of hearing people say he, he, he facilitated, but LeBron was all about scoring. And I think that's the problem that a lot of people that play him, they forget that, okay, LeBron probably when this thing is over, if he don't be second, he might be the all-time leading scorer. And you can't go back and say that man wasn't no scorer. Mm-hmm. So when I look at I say he, he, he wasn't a killer score like, like Michael and Kobe were. But he is a scorer. Yeah. And that's always get left out of the conversation about his, his, his playmaking ability. I'm like, no, dude, let's start at the top of that list. That dude, because the record I thought would never be broken was Michael Jordan, consecutive game, double-digit scoring streak. I didn't think anyone would ever break that record. Mm-hmm. One, because I didn't think – I didn't think it had, it had to be someone who had the ball in the hand a lot, and you had to stay healthy. Because if you went into a game, you got hurt, you got four points, your streak ended. Right. It ended. You know what I'm saying? So when I looked at it, I was like, one record, I was like, man, that record would never be broken. That dude is into a thousand games that he scored double figure. You understand a thousand games he has scored in double figure. So the notion that, oh man, he's a he's like magic, just like now, dude. Magic only scored what about maybe 15, 16,000 points? This dude is in the 30,000 approaching Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
That's true. That's true. Or were there things like similarities with with Kobe and Mike with you guarding them? I mean, was Michael stronger, or were there things that you could try that worked? We're relatively used the word work to slow him down. Did you try some of the same tricks with Mike as you did Kobe? Because I mean, Mike was older when you went against him. You and Kobe were like, you know, coming in together, but were there things you tried with each of them, or was some stuff you can't do with Mike, some you can with Kobe, or how'd you approach it? Well, you know what? Guarding both, you know, it was, it was always going to try to be, and most of those pitches you saw was always going to be him trying to back me down and shoot over me and back me down. Yeah. And try to you know go through, and I'm like, no, nah, dude, I'm stronger than you think. Uh-huh. I have a 44 inch vertical. Uh-huh. I have a 16 wingspan, so I had a few advantages that they I don't think they knew about. You know what I'm saying? That they were just, they just saw me being six one. Yeah. They were six six. I'm just gonna bag this little dude down and shoot. I'm like, no, nah, dude, you it's gonna be a fight down here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just not gonna let you just bag me, bag me down. I'm like, no, nah. I know how to because I learned how to guard. It's funny when um. I was with Golden State, and they traded for Brian Shaw. So Brian Shaw, like I said, six six, and so he really taught me. He was teaching me how to defend taller players, you no know, players that he was his height. And he just, you know, he gave me say forearm here, try to knock the ball out to break to break the rhythm when they go up, even if they fade away. He says still challenge vertical and don't foul. He said, now it's going to be a tougher shot because now it's all about time and the jump and just being disciplined until they get off the ground. And I knew with my with my long arms, it was going to allow me to be able to challenge the shot and, and, and make it a little bit more difficult than they thought because they just thought I'm 6'1". Oh, I'm just going to turn around and shoot over. I'm like, no, dude, I'm quick off the floor. I had length, I had length with my arm, and – I was going to make it a difficult shot. And plus I was strong. So you wasn't just going to bag me down. You know, like, I'm like, dude, listen, I'm in the gym lifting too. Like, like I lift weights too. You ain't the only person that, that, that lift weights. I'm like, dude, I, I love lifting weights. So I knew that was going to be something where I had to be strong to guard that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was always, I always just had to ask and see. So yeah, that was, and for the teams you played for, like, you know, were there any like unique defensive concepts or coaches with unique defensive ideas? Was everybody kind of the same philosophy-wise on defense? I think everybody had – it was almost like a different game plan. You know, some coaches, depending on if someone can shoot, you know, they like to trap it, pick and roll, blitz the pick and roll, go under, force it down. Like, there were different coverages that, you know, we, we – that still the terminology that we still use to this day, you know, when it comes down to um, – you know, just being a playmaker and knowing who that playmaker is and kind of having, like I said earlier about Kentucky and some of their players, you know, the younger players, you know, a scouting report is really giving you, giving you a little edge, giving you, I always say it gives you a little insight to, to what they do well. And mm-hmm. to try to figure out how to take that away. And that's, that's, that was important when you're going against a really good player, you know, okay, man, I know he's going to get 25, 30 shots. Like Gardner Iverson, I knew he was going to be coming off a lot of screens. He had the green light to shoot the ball. Um, you know, he had a he had a different green light than most of the guys because that team was constructed around him. So, you know, they he was a scorer. Everybody else was a role player. Like it was your job to get him the ball, to set screens and get him open, kind of like Reggie Miller was in um, – 
was in Indiana with the Pacers. But one player was not going to win a championship. One player can get you in the playoff. He could win you 15, 20 extra games a year. That's what I say when I look at all the money that players are getting now. If, if you, if I pay you 40, 35, 40 million, let's say 25 million, 20, let's go even 20 million, 20 million to $40 million mm-hmm. in, in the NBA, you better get me 10 wins, like 10 plus wins. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm paying you all that money as a franchise player, and I can't justify when I'm paying somebody $30 million and, man, we we just barely get into the playoff and we can't get out the first round. But also what started happening was even in Michael's situation, Michael needed help. Great player, you know, but he can do it by himself. And then you got to put another bona fide score right next to him, which, which was Scotty Pippen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and even as LeBron started winning championships, you know, with, with D Wade and, and Chris Bosch, he had bona fide players that you couldn't help off of. And then he put shooters on the court. So then you got Chris Bosh, D-Wade. You start putting shooters around him like Mike Miller, Ray Allen. You can't help off anybody. So now LeBron, who, who, who I always say, I'll tell people this, and I probably said it on, on pod, other podcasts, he is the best three-point passer that we've ever seen. Hmm. And some of it because he's 6'8". He, he can pass over defenses, even if he's on the low block posting up. You got to double him with almost two seven foot guys. So you can't bring another six four six five guy over. He mm-hmm. can see over top of him. It's mm-hmm. like Larry Bird. What made Larry Bird a great passer was that you had to double him with a smaller player who he could see over over the top of him. So even if <laughs> I remember somebody telling me a story one time, it was Larry Bird was being double teamed, and it was playing against Detroit. I think maybe Dennis Robin was 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 one of the guys that was guarding him. And Joe Dumars was a, was a double-team guy. So mm-hmm. as Joe Dumars came over, he said, hey, Joe, you see your man cutting back door? <laughs> because he was able to see over him. You know, he was like, so then Joe was like, man, it is true. Because as soon as, he, soon as Joe man came, you know, it wasn't like Joe 6'4 was doubling somebody that's 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, they can't see over him with my long arm. Even yeah. with Joe arms, uh, you know, extended, Ladbrook could still see over him. Yeah. That's kind of how it is with LeBron when it comes to passing is that when he's coming down at that height, playing downhill with that speed and that body is, you know, with shooters around, he got the lane to drive. But, you know, back, let's say back in the 80s and 90s, you had a power forward in the center. Those two guys mostly never left the low block. They stayed on the low block. Yeah. Who is the, I don't, I don't want to say dirtiest, Who's the the craftiest, knew all the tricks guy that you ever played against in the NBA? Not, I won't say dirty, but you know he's he knows all the tricks. He knows all the little sneaky moves. I guess crafty is the word I say instead of dirty. Who's the craftiest dude you went against? Man, I, I got to get that to Smitty, man, Steve Smith. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. It's funny. I was telling someone a story the other day. I think it might have been yesterday. I was talking to someone, and so Smitty was, you know, he he had that one baseline move. I love. He had this one move I love. Like he he got so many players on this move where he look one way and go another direction. I mean, we call it the, the Smitty. So I, I I'm, I'm gonna go back to the Smitty. But Smitty was one of those guys when young players came in, he'll be talking to you like he'd be in like a full conversation. You know your history, like where you went to school, what you did, and. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there like, man, this dude really know who I am. 
And before you know it, you're, by, you're standing by yourself and Smitty is coming off shooting the ball. Somebody's already set a screen and you're still stuck in the same place y'all were having conversation. He come <laughs> off, you shoot him like, you got me, man. That was, that was pretty clever. Or, you know, he will hold you and, and pretend like you're holding him. So now he'll hold you, lock arms with you, and he's trying to come off the screen. And he's like, he's screaming. The referee see you and it'd be like, there's a foul on you. So going back to the Smitty move, so I, I, Smitty had this move. I love this Smitty move. And I was a, I think I was maybe a sophomore, maybe a junior. I think it was my junior year because I was getting ready to go to Chicago with Antoine over the weekend. And one of the guys in my dorm, so we're sitting there. I'm like, man, Thursday night, should have probably went out, went to the U Club when U Club was popping back in the day. And uh, so I decided to go to the gym, Memorial Coliseum, and play one of the guys that he was one of the, one of our students that were standing in line. So we over there playing one-on-one and, you know, so I'm going, working on my, like I said, I'm working on my game, boom, working on my game, shooting shots and posting up. Mm-hmm. And I try to hit, I hit him with the Smitty move. Boom, hit him with the Smitty move. He didn't go for the Smitty move. So instead of him going the other direction, he went the direction I, that I was going, we collided, we hit heads. Mm-hmm. So I had to get 14 stitches in my eye. Oh. And and people don't, people probably don't even know, like doing midnight I think it was one of the Midnight Madness. I had I had 14 stitches. Mm. So that happened Thursday night. I never, I was going to Chicago with Antoine Walker. We was scheduled to leave like I think Friday, Friday afternoon after school or whatever. And I go to I'm in Chicago. And I remember getting my stitches, stitches put in my eye. And I told later, I said, hey, you know what? I have to go to Chicago over the weekend. I said, is there gonna be any swelling? <laughs> <laughs> so I wake up Friday morning. I can't even open my eye, man. I'm like, man, I swole. It's, it's like I got hit by Mike Tyson in the eye, man. My, when I tell you, like, I was completely closed, and I had to go get some sunglasses because I, I I still wanted to go to Chicago. I'm like, man, I'm going to Chicago. I'm making this trip to Chicago. Threw them sunglasses on, and I think Midnight Madness was coming the following weekend. I still had my, you know, so I couldn't – I still had the stitches in my eye, so I couldn't really practice anything, and – uh but it was the first time that I had received stitches and I had to go to the hospital. So I rode in the ambulance. And at this time I thought the ambulance ride was free. You know, good thing, you know, the, the university had had insurance for me because that ride was, uh, was a few thousand dollars. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, so Steve Smith had the move. I, I love this move. He had all the tricks, man, with just a, a, a savvy and a crafty veteran, you know, yeah. even as he got older, you know, his knees started getting, started getting bad but he still knew how to create space go get a shot and then just his creativity you know just being crafty and just having some old tricks man so i'll have to get that to steve smith that's and that's what i was going for not because not the most athletic dude never never going to be known for a, a high flyer but crafty using his body using his mind using those tricks so that's that's exactly what i was asking about so steve smith takes it Yes, uh, man, we gotta gotta go ahead and talk about and look. They might already be sold out. Dave at La Terrain tweeted out this might be the best watch he ever made, and yeah. this is that watch commemorating the the '96 championship, making '96 of those things, and man, that whoo, the blue one, the gray and the silver and blue one, yeah, yeah man, '96 of them made BBN. Y'all need to go and get them before they sell out because. Yeah, yeah. He ain't playing with this one. He is not playing. No, no, no. He, he, he came with it, man. We we kind of looked at a 
few different watches and we've been, you know, we've been in communication uh, the last two weeks about you know, when we're going to bring the watch out. And like I said, just having um, 96 of those watches, it's going to be a one-time watch that when you see the band, it's actually two bands. So you can actually take the silver band and replace it with the blue band, but also just, it has a really cool blue case, you know? So not only are you getting the, the watch, the watch itself with two different bands, you're also getting a real, a nice case. And you know, it has a nice 25th anniversary uh, subscribe me um, on the back of the watch, uh, engraved in the back of the watch. So it's it, it's a time piece that, you know, I looked at and I hope everyone, when they see it, you know, they they feel the same way about it as I do. You know, it, it, it it's really just stating what we did as a as a team, you know, and 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 what lots of rain, Dave and Ben, those guys, you know, as they kind of bring my ideals to fruition, you know, it's like, man, I want to see it this way. I like, I like the bezel this way. I like the color. Um, I want it to be classy, something that you can wear every day, but also something you can, you know, you can spice it up if you need to. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, he gives you the two bands, you know, that you can, you know, take exchange one of the bands. So it's, 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 um, it's going to be something that's going to be special one time. It's, you know, it's, not coming out again. We're going to do this 25th and, yeah. you know, the plan is to sell out. And, you know, I always, I always like to give something to charity. So I, I plan on giving, you know, something to charity. One of my, one of my charities that I like, and um, you know, but we still have to you know give all the credit to Dave and and not only with that watch, but so many other watches that they've done the compass, you know, we can go down the line with all the really cool time pieces that they, that they put out and that everyone is kind of looking at. And I always say, man, you know, it's always a great gift. You know, everyone needs a nice, cool watch. Why not go to La Terrain? Exactly. You can tell, like like you said, him taking your ideas. You can see all the detail. They, he, he got every little base covered. And like I said, Big, Big Blue Nation, y'all go ahead and go to LaTerrain.com on Instagram, Facebook, wherever, go straight to the website and check these out. In addition to all the other ones. But, yeah, this this 96 Championship Edition, man, that is, that is something else. For yes, sure. sir. For sure. Man, as um, as Braves fans, like you said, your your dad was a Braves fan. The Braves were always on when you were growing up. Same thing for me. Lost the legend, the home run king, Hank Aaron, passed away. Yeah. Oh man, and I know I'm I'm sure Papa Dilk probably was a big Braves fan in part because of Hank Aaron. I would say, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, about a month, a month and a half ago. Uh, someone gave me a really nice card, a Hank Aaron and a Mickey, a Mickey Mantle card, my only baseball card, mm. Mr. Jimmy. You know, I, I'll talk about Mr. Jimmy here. Just a really unbelievable guy. Has a, a nice memorabilia shop there in Lexington. But, you know, when I got it, I didn't even think about, you know, just I'm like, man, Hank Aaron is still alive. You know, I'm like, man, Hammer Hammer Hank. I think the most home runs he had in one in the season was like 46 or 47. So he wasn't like your – 60 60 55 you know he just he was consistent you know what i'm saying and but just they during that time when can you imagine him trying he was getting ready to break beirut home run record you know what he all what he all what all he endured during the during that time you know not being able to stay at certain hotels you know be being called the n-word you know just and he would just never met him but just hearing him speak how he carried himself 
he stayed, he was a professional, you know, during a time where it was tough to be a black, it was tough to be a black man, but especially a black professional athlete in a sport that was dominated by white players. And he managed through that, man. Can you imagine like just all the names that he was called on the field and what people said, you know, because even, even when he, when he broke the home run record, you know, and, and I see these, you know, we see those white guys running right next to him. I'm like, man, <laughs> that, that was crazy. Cause I mean, really it was scary because you really don't know what could happen, you know, cause you know, Babe Ruth had a lot of fans. A lot of people loved him. And, and when people love someone, they don't ever want to see their record go by the wayside. And who knows what those guys, what they were going to do, what was going to happen. But, you know, I think what he endured and what he went through, people respected that, man. Like, whether you're white or black, it's like, man, that was a good man. You know what I'm saying? Like, racism aside, you know, I might be black, I might be white here. But when you when a person is good and genuine, like, that, oh, that, oh, that supersedes, you know, the color of their skin. And that's the one thing I saw in him where he was always professional and he experienced a lot of things that I've never experienced. You haven't experienced. And you know, my, my dad experienced a lot of what he experienced as a black man. And, you know, he never really never heard him say anything bad about just, you know, just the white race. He was like, man, hey, playing my sport, I don't have to do. I'm being the best I can possibly be at it. Yeah. And like you and he was so consistent he was underrated like you said he didn't hit 50 and 60 but he was just 35 40 42 38 so consistent that as crazy as those numbers are he's still underrated because he was just you just hang just gonna do what he does and he almost got overlooked because he was just so wasn't flashy like willie mays just showed up went two for four got his double the crazy thing though you know, 3,000 hits in baseball, that you pretty much, that guarantees you're going to the Hall of Fame. You take Hank's 755 home runs away, and he's still got 3,000 hits. You you take, wow. he's got 38, 30 however many hits. You take away all his home runs, he's still over 3,000 hits. That's insane. Hey, man, that's remarkable, man. Like I said, we, we lost a, a legend. Yeah. And- you know, that that's that's the toughest thing is that, you know, and, and he was older, 86, you know, so he lived a great life. But he what he did was he left us a lot of I always say a lot of footage, a lot of, of, of great conversation, just a, you know, a, a great ambassador for baseball, a great ambassador just for black men. You know, so we have to commend everything he did and how he did it. Exactly. And when he broke the. The record was April of 74. So like you said, you were born in January. So you were you were a couple months old. You you were you were here for when it I was here, but I, I was here, but you know, I wasn't watching TV. I, I might have been watching TV, but I ain't know I ain't know what the hammer was doing, man. Exactly, exactly. That's why let's like I told uh Goose Givens and, and for y'all who hadn't seen it or listen, go back and listen to the episode with Goose Givens and not all the guests we had on. I told Goose, I was like, Man, look. I was born in November of 77. So, you know, y'all wanted in 78. I was here. It, it happened in my lifetime. So I, I counted. I wasn't, I don't know what was happening. Like you, I wasn't watching TV. I wasn't watching Goose. Yes. I, I was exactly. a couple years old. So same thing with you and, and Hank Aaron. Same thing with me in the, in the I was here. Yeah. I guess I was here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My, my parents got married, let's see, like, Three weeks after that, he broke the record like April eighth. I think they got married right. on twenty seventh, so they've been married forty seven years. Wow, it's coming April, so yeah. Wow. Yeah, my dad was 
last couple of weeks as a bachelor when Hank broke the babe's record. <laughs> yeah, man. man, that's cool. Yeah. So, man, I got to hit this one little thing real quick. I tried to do it the other day with um, the million-dollar mullet. So I'm going to try it again. You've been talking about it for weeks. So I'm going to go ahead and just hit a couple doses of it real quick on the way out because you've been mentioning it every episode. So here we go. Hey. And tell it, hey, hey, that's, that's not our music, no. Hey, it's not our music, but it's definitely one of my favorites. When I, when I look at my, my favorite song, Sky the Limit, 112, Biggie, and you know what? You really just got to listen to the lyrics. Like, like you can just sit back and just sit back and listen to the lyrics and it'd be like, man, that is so true. The sky is really the limit. That's it. So Million Dollar Mullet, What Nires, they just name drop you. So I play yeah. a little bit of that. And then just a little dose of sky's the limit right before we yeah. out. Try not to get us in no trouble, but just a little, just a little taste, TD. I My got man. you. I got you. My man. <laughs> and you still got to find a, the, the woman I want you to interview. We still got to look for her. Now that's a that's a task right there, but we'll, we'll get is, up. I'm on it. I'm on it though. We'll, we'll be on it though. We're gonna know, make it happen. Though. I know you already got all your questions already. You got the interview planned out. You already you already got the point. <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it, you know what I'm gonna tell you. It's it's gonna be just like when I go and train somebody. I just show up and I let my brain go to work. That's it. See, I'm I'm just gonna sit back and hit record and see what happens when, when, <laughs> for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna oh, happen. Man. It's gonna happen. I gotta feel it. it. Yeah, yeah. We y'all keep tuning in. We got more guests coming. You know, former players, teammates, media people. We just keep keep tuning in to see who who we get from the roller decks to hop on with it. So yeah, we got stuff coming. Man, CD, I ain't I ain't gonna give you no grief about yesterday. You know, it's it's all right. We 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 ain't ain't worried about what happened yesterday. It's fine. We We have today, today, and we'll do our Tuesday thing in the future. But man, appreciate all the knowledge. No doubt. You know, just enjoy doing it. And I hope everybody enjoys listening to it. Believe in Kentucky. Y'all see y'all next week. Peace out. See y'all. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube